and welcome to Stationery Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford and joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon, back from a weekend blighty. Stu, how was the theatre? How was the theatre? The theatre was fantastic. We went to see The Lion King. So the circle of life and all of that good stuff and some amazing sort of puppetry. Excellent. Fantastic. Well done then. What did you hold up uh, in, in honor of, you know, the little thing that they do? Um, uh, uh, well. You didn't take a puppy, did you? No, no. I, um, no, we sort of sat there and, and toasted them with champagne, to be honest. We were, we were on a proper date day. We'd had what can only be described as a big lunch or lunch with a capital L. So that was seafood, uh, more white wine than is probably advisable. Uh, then we'd had a bit of champagne. And we, uh, we'd been living it up in London's Covent Garden, so a very nice place to spend some time. Lovely. Yeah, I was thinking that that would be an ideal place to lift Coco up to to see the world, you know? Anyway. Uh, present her to, you know, be be worshipped. I think she'd probably go for that sort of thing, wouldn't she? She's that sort of dog. Oh, definitely she would go for that. Of course, every time I see that image, I just think of Coco. Mm. She likes that kind of stuff. Oh, so what a snoo uh, with you? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, apologies to the listeners. We've been away, um, I, I think, away one week longer than anticipated. Not because uh, my trip got any longer, but because, well, uh, Canada was pretty much on fire everywhere, as far as I could work out. Uh, and I was double booked. And uh, so we just sort of decided to take an extra week. So it's great to be back um, uh, after the glamour of international travel and the, the horror of flames in uh, British Columbia. How, how is your little corner of British Columbia? <laughs> I'm feeling very isolated at the moment, Stu. It's, uh, it's crazy. We have fires to north. We have a couple of different fires to the south. There's around 60,000 hectares on fire within less than an hour's drive, which is a little too close in my opinion. Mm. Um, the One of the fires up north burned down 190 structures in a city or two cities actually. Uh, 190 structures doesn't sound too bad until you realize that one of those structures was a 150 unit apartment building. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of people without, uh, homing housing at the moment. Um, this started on the west side of the lake and embers flew over the lake and started fires in different cities on the other side. So, uh, it was pretty apocalyptic. Um, mm. we've had. Oof, nothing but smoke and uh, horrible conditions for, for us. I mean, touch wood, we're okay. We're safe so far. Things are so tinder dry. The app that I use for air quality has uh, called it hazardous, uh, which I think is the most it can ever be. It was like the bright, bright red saying, do not go outside. Um, yeah, it was pretty rough. And then to top it all off, we had a rock fall closed our only road to the nearest big city, which is making logistics so much harder. Uh, there's a main highway that comes up and it goes and kind of crests on the big city and then comes down to where we are. Well, that, that got closed by this big rock fall last time that happened. Uh, I think it was closed for a few months. So, um, this should be fun. What should be a 45 minute trip? Uh, comes to about a three and a half hour detour on the highways, two hours of terrible logging roads, uh, which is unpaved. It's washboards in some areas, it's potholes in others and dodging the roving cows on the roads. Absolutely brutal. And we have to make that drive to pick up the child who's coming back from the mainland where she went to hide from the smoke. So, uh, yes, tonight should be fun. I think we've got, uh, about six hours of driving for something that should have been about a 45 minute each way drive. Brutal. Joy, 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 joy. Well, look, at least you're safe for the moment. Touching wood, everything, touching my head. Um, scary stuff, these fires. We've been uh, thus far uh, still touching the wood and the head and all that stuff. Pretty lucky with our fire season. It's been uh, relatively 
um, calm. There's been a few, not that many too close and uh, not as bad as we had last year. So hopefully we're right. we we actually had rain on Monday, which in August is unheard of. Uh, so the weather is definitely doing its weird thing, but um, that dampened things down a little bit for us, which is uh, was very much appreciated. Yeah. If it's like here, it lasts about uh, 30 minutes on the ground and then it's burned up from the heat again. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much. Oh, and one other thing that we have to mention, we have to say hi to Erin in Glasgow, I, um, who very kindly sent us an email at uh, Cafe Nero, uh, no relation to uh, my little schnauzer who uh, inspired Nero's notes. Uh, Cafe Nero in UK is quite a big chain, actually. It's um, I quite like it. I have to whisper because Mrs L, the Sicilian in the family, disapproves. Uh, apparently the coffee is not... Not up to scratch. I, mean, I, I find it very good. But oh, what can you say? But she sent us a, a lovely picture of um, the pan au raisin, which is one of my personal favourites, uh, and the pan au chocolat, which, yeah. hey, it's sugar and butter. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and a lovely photo. So thanks, Erin. Yeah, lovely to hear from her as well. Erin uh, uh, works in wildfires, and boy, could we use all the help we've got right about now. Uh, well, you did your best. You sent her a fountain pen, I believe. Oh, that was last year. Uh, in your little giveaway list. Yeah. Uh, and then she went to Glasgow instead of coming up here when we needed her. But that's okay. <laughs> Very sensible. She knew what was coming. Uh, you know what? Um, uh, the U.S. is having their issues as well. There's um, lots of other places within the provinces, lots of other the provinces in B.C. Uh, North America, well, is being kicked in the teeth let's call it that way by mother nature this year that's all i'm saying mm. mother nature mm. i have difficult familial relations and mother nature is just one of those <laughs> uh well at least the politics uh no let's move on so what's your uh tool of the week this week all right so i spent money against you <gasps> i bought myself a starlink do you know what those are uh, well, obviously, it's a link to the stars. Um, it's it's a transporter, is it? Yeah, something like that. Um, it is my disaster planning remote needs. Something that uh, when the world is going up in flames and, you know, it's not far away and it looks like the end of the world, one starts thinking about what happens in disasters. Um, Starlink is a remote internet that is a little... A dish that one puts on the floor and it will go up and it will go to all the Starlink satellites that are put up by SpaceX and it will give you relatively stable and fast internet for an affordable price. Um, because part of my plan is I've got my camper loaded up ready to go and to be honest I'm 10 minutes away from no cell service and i regularly venture out that way if there's a fire uh, i've got no idea i uh, the only way i'll learn is when the embers start burning me um so i think it's pretty dangerous i do have sort of emergency satellite sos on my phone i've got the new or newish because they're coming out with a new one in a couple of weeks the iphone 14 and uh, that has the satellite sos on it mm -hmm. but some of the places i drive into are really really remote if something cut off the one road in and out i would be hooped so i invested in this they had a they had a rural deal in canada that uh what was normally almost eight hundred dollars was only a couple hundred dollars so it wasn't a big investment i figured i'd try it and keep it and see what happens so what it means basically is i can plug up my plug this thing into my camper and i have internet service basically anywhere i park as long as i'm not under all the trees so it's really cool it's quite amazing the fact that i can get internet in places where um, I don't know if you have this in Cyprus, but there's like no cell service anywhere. You know, I'd have to drive for an hour to get cell service. Um, it's it's cool and it's all it's all fancy and it moves and it tracks the satellites. It's impressive, Stu. I gotta say it. I know everybody's kind of gonna groan and say Elon Musk. Um, yes, but it's a good product and the sign up was the slickest checkout for e-commerce 
I've ever, ever used in my life. Really cool. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, I, we, we do have areas in Cyprus with no cell service. It's really patchy uh, up in the mountains, but obviously, given the scale of things, um, you just walk for 10 minutes and then you'll find some eventually. Um, and I, I dare say Starlink, Starlink? No, that would be a different thing. Starlink is probably not available here anyway. But uh, no, very cool. That's that's you in the camper van. Um, when the end of times comes, you'll be able to, uh, well, you know, just keep an eye on everything as, as it collapses around you. Or midweek working, just thinking out loud, you know, that might uh-huh. be an option. Um, disappearing into the mountains in the work week and still being able to do my job. This work from home can go anywhere. Oh, there you go. You see, he's a man who has everything. Hmm. How about you? What did you uh, use as the tool of the weeks? See, as we haven't talked for a while. Mm, I'll tell the weeks. Well, while I was traveling, um, I was back into TripIt, which is an app that I have on my phone. Um, it's a it's an itinerary builder. It's somewhere where you you sort of throw all of your reservations, all of your logistics, so flights, hotels, restaurants, uh, parking, meetings. You put all of the stuff in there, and it creates a nice little itinerary for you. Gives you notifications. Um, links through to um, it, it's 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 one place for everything if you like when you're traveling. So that was really useful. Uh, it meant I didn't have to carry 600 confirmation emails and all of that stuff. You just email them all to TripIt, and it comes into one nice little itinerary. So when I checked into my hotel, I could just open up the app. Boom, there was my reservation number. Boom, boom, boom. All very easy. All very good. Um, and also Waze, um, which is I, I think now owned by Google. Uh, that's the sort of mm. sat-navy thing of choice that uh, I use now. Um, sat-navs in Cyprus are, they're all right, um, but it's a little bit patchy. We don't get any of the sort of really cool uh, additions that that you will get if you use them in, in the US, I assume in Canada, UK, um, where, you know, it will sort of chart everything from fuel stops to pubs to restaurants. Anything you need is there in front of you. Um, and that was really cool. And that got us around UK pretty well, I have to say, because although I kind of know where I'm going, um, Bristol is completely transformed from when I used to live there. They've got a whole new sort of city centre and traffic system. Uh, and London, well, London's London. Uh, it's London is becoming so anti-car now that you have to be very careful. There are roads that if you drive down them, you get fined. Um, you you need to be careful around London and uh, Waze navigated me around that really well too I had forgotten about Waze completely and one of the challenges that we have oh no uh, never mind it's still doing the same thing Um, Apple Maps uh, tells you to take a particular road um, as a detour of the one that's closed Uh, this road would be a tough slog through You've got to fjord uh, some rivers, uh, which are probably not too bad this time of year. You've got to crest some mountains on these rocky, holy little trails. Um, I went up there in my 4x4 truck last year and decided it was too sketchy for that. And apparently, if you go on Apple Maps, this is the quickest road into the city that it says is a detour. Um and I just went to Waze and it says, yes, let's go the same way. Um, no, no, you can't get that way. Uh, you may think you can. It may have a little line on the map, but trust me, you cannot get that way. Because, um, yeah, even in a Jeep, it'd be it'd be a tough go. Uh, yeah, mm. I, I just Googled it because I was kind of curious. Yeah, uh, We've had all kinds of people uh, with blowout somebody had three punctures on one road uh, trying to take a little car where it it really has no business been so Mm. anyway ah, the fun things of technology indeed i I handled london's traffic a lot better than it does the back roads of bc yeah i mean I, i think all of the people that are remotely working for these companies are probably living in sort of you know california and vancouver and london and singapore and uh, and creating apps that are fantastic for those places but rural canada and little old cyprus maybe not high on their list of priorities i guess no never are what you're riding with this week Stu? are they good uh yeah well i'm still i'm still loving my pelican uh with its uh with its 
oh, oh God, the name of the ink always goes past me again, the uh, Hiroshizuku. Um, that's still one of my favorite writers. Uh, and I've got this week another one going. I've got the Sailor Pro Gear, Sunset Over the Ocean, um, which I've loaded with Pelham Blue from Diamine. Again, very nice little pair. Two of my favorite pens this week, actually. What about you? Have you got something good going? Well, I was going to actually ask you first, though. Oh. What did you travel with? Because, you know, we're somewhat of a stationary adjacent podcast. People want to know these things. More importantly, what came home? Because I think you met with Claire, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, I took with me, um, I think I probably wrote a post on this. I took a Smithson writing folder which is a very sort of posh notebook cover uh, with a Smithson notebook in it and the Pelican uh, M800 Stressaman. Um, but I, me being me, I also took um, a Lockbee, um, oh, what do I want to call this? It's a Lockbee pen pouch. I'll, I'll dig out a link for it in a while. Is that the Quattro, the little four one? That's it, yeah. Um, so I took that with a few more sort of assorted Pens and rollables. I took um, uh, I took one of my squires. I took a tornado, um, and I can't remember what else I took. In. It's sort of like a comfort blanket, having having five options for a six day trip. Um, what did I come back with? Well, some bits and pieces of Tomoe. I can say that because um, there's um, a supplier who's. Uh, sort of looking to see if we want to carry uh, his goods. It's out of China. It's not a name I know. Um, so I'm being quite careful at the moment, and I'm going to test all the paper. Uh, and also a Kickstarter buy of mine of 2017, <laughs> Hippo Note. Do you remember Hippo Note? Oh, yeah. Those are the really, really big ones, right? Yeah, exactly. It's about 500 pages of Tomorrow River. Um, so I'm sitting around thinking there must be a project that I can I can write in here. Um, and that was kind of it. Otherwise, I was pretty restrained at, uh, at Nero's HQ, I have to say, because not much space in the bags. Mm. I was actually just thinking I can imagine you putting that hippo notebook in there and Mrs. L looking at you saying, if you could fit that in, I've got I've got some Chanel stuff that needs to go in there as well. There were conversations very similar to that. My little, um, my little bag, which is a sort of uh, an underseat but expanding rucksack, was uh, expanded almost beyond reasonableness. As various and said, "Oh no, but we can take this. Oh, no, no, we can take that, and we can take this, and we can." <sighs> the joys of uh, a short trip to the UK. Um, I even brought some chopped nuts back because Mrs. L has a favorite brand that you can't get in cyprus ah i'm just thinking on our previous discussions about those small little bags and room in them and nuts would not have been anything on my bingo card for what Stu brings back from the uk but hey i learned something new yeah no it's uh the, that whole side of travel because margaret was her back is giving her loads of grief at the moment and so the whole thing was in a wheelchair um and traveling with someone with a wheelchair is you, you kind of get co-opted into being uh being the the helper um which is is fine obviously i don't have a problem with that um but i don't think um mrs l is quite as dictatorial <laughs> to to third parties as she is to me no not there do that put that there no get that out of that bag go this way go that way no but right now i want a coffee now very, very hard work. My my heart goes out to uh, all those brave people who, who are sort of full-time carers. It's incredibly hard work, and I only did it for a few days. Mm. I'm glad to be home, I'm sure. <laughs> it certainly was. Uh, but anyway, back to your pen. What are you using? I'm using a, well, a pen I haven't used in a while, uh, Pilot Custom 74, which is a, a fairly small little Pilot. It's got a little... Uh, gold nib on it um mine is some sort of well hypodermic needle uh, even by my standards let alone stews uh very very i think it's an extra fine uh and i've got it with a robert oster uh limited ink from stylo in canada they did some uh customer specific ones for a store in montreal 
And it's kind of a reddish purple. It's quite a nice color. I can't remember the name of it and I've got to look it up because that's just the way my week's gone. But um, yeah, wow. Sometimes these pens really are thin, those two. This nib, scary stuff. Mm, well, yeah, that would definitely not be my thing. Nope, not at all. All right, uh, this week we want to talk, I want to talk about identity because, well, me struggling with what or if my identity should be at the moment, uh, which is why I wanted to talk to my friend Stu about it. Um, who I am. It doesn't really seem like a problem to me, but I kind of run into these situations. You know, when you meet people, you get that question about, oh, who are you and what do you do? And you kind of have to answer that. And I have a hard time answering it. It's like, okay, I don't have an identity of what I want to be. Am I this? Am I that? Um, yeah, it really has got me in a weird spot right now. Things that I used to care about, I don't anymore. Um, you know, maybe um, trying to survive out here is perhaps more important than anything else. But um, I was reading the book Quit uh, by Annie Duke. We've been talking about that a little bit. And the part of the identity that she really got me thinking about is in the book is the reluctance to change because we hold on to things we shouldn't because we identify them with them. Mm. You know, whether they're a company, we're an employee, that company, we're, um, what do they call them? They were at Twitter, they weren't twits. Now they're twits. What were they before? <laughs> they had some like cute little name that they, you know, they identified as, right? And then they all got upset when they all got laid off. Um, those, you know, we, we do, we as people identify that. And looking back over my career, I've certainly done that. Um, I'm, I'm the reluctance to change that comes from identifying those is because our dent, our identity may or may not be the best thing for us at any point. So I'm not sure if my struggles with, should I have an identity? What should it be? Um, is a good thing or a bad thing. So Stu, I'm curious to know how you feel about identity. Mm, uh, well, for me, it's been ever present. And um, I, as I get sort of older and hopefully wiser, um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we have built our world. And I mean, us and the generations before us. Um, and the, the trendy thing to throw around at the moment is say end stage capitalism, um, which is some sort of apoptic, ap <laughs> apocalyptic thing where we're all going to drop into chaos. Um, but you know, you and I were born at similar times and nobody ever asked us what we wanted to do when we grew up. They, they asked us what we wanted to be when we grew up. Oh, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a soldier or I want to be an accountant. No, nobody said that, but no, nobody did. Trust me. <laughs> it, I, I wanted to be a, a spaceman and I ended up as an accountant. Yeah. So there we go. But it, it was that it was that key word, wasn't it? It was it was the it was be not not do, and identity was intrinsically linked with what what you did for a living, um, which you know as as you think about it is slightly nonsensical. Um, but I remember I went to um, I went to the, we've talked about this before, but I went to a private school, which is called a public school in England because it's England, and. Um, it was quite a lot of money to go there and I was able to go there because I had a scholarship and I had some help from the Royal Air Force because my dad was in the Royal Air Force. Um, but part of the deal was I had to, to go to a boarding school. I had to live at school because of an old fashioned sort of belief that good schools were boarding schools. So even though this same school offered day pupils, so I could have gone home every night. Day passes, parole whatever you call it. <laughs> I wouldn't have got any, I wouldn't have got the financial help from the Air Force. So it wasn't, it wasn't possible. So I was at a boarding school in the same city in which I lived, which is a bit odd. Um, most of my uh, sort of peers uh, were either from abroad or from all over the country, but none of them were from Bristol because everybody that was from Bristol was a day boy and they were in a day boy house and I was in a boarding house. Yeah, there's enough logistics for you. Um, 
Um, am I going to ask what color your house colors were? Were you like Hufflepuff or Slytherin? Or? <laughs> yeah, it depends. I started uh, in Sharps and then I went to Pool and then I ended up uh, in secondary school at Oakley, Oakley's. Um, and yes, they all did have different colored ties. So Oakley's was a black and white tie. Um, and each, each house had its different colored ties. Um, Harry Potter could have been written about us um hufflepuff though no i don't think we had a hufflepuff um <laughs> the the one of the sort of weird dichotomies that that appeals to this question of of identity was i was born oh no i was living uh with my parents at the time um in a place called avonmouth which is, um, it's guess what? It's the mouth of the River Avon. It's the docks. Um, it's not a terribly well-to-do area. We had a lovely house, uh, and it was actually a really nice place to live, but it's not the sort of place that estate agents were saying was desirable. We moved then to um, a place called Southmead, which is, coincidentally, I was born in Southmead Hospital, um, and it was close to where my mum uh, had been brought up. She was brought up at a place called Westbury on Trim, which was sort of down the road. Uh, but Southmead um, used to be described as Beirut, but with windows. Um, it was it was tough. It was a tough neighbourhood, and uh, very working class. A lot of council housing. Uh, again, we weren't living in a council house. We had a, we had we had a, a nice semi-detached, perfectly acceptable house. Uh, my dad was mostly away because he was serving. Um, and my mum and I lived in this place that was, as I say, in a rough area. Where I went to school was the exact opposite. It was extremely desirable, uh, very leafy, uh, very, very posh. Um, it's a lovely, lovely part of Bristol even now. It's called Clifton. And so during the year, I very quickly learned to have two accents. So the accent that you hear from me now is largely received pronunciation. It's um, sort of uh, English middle class, um, correctly spoken English, if you like, call it that, received pronunciation. And that's what I spoke at school. And if I uh, had any sort of accent at school, then my, my peers would sort of seize upon it. You know, there was a, uh, kids can be rough. <laughs> I know that one, mate. <laughs> well, when I was at home in Southmead, we talked like that. We had proper Bristol accents. And if I talk posh, I got my face kicked in. So I could literally, from one second to the next, change accents. Because if I spoke as I'm speaking now in Southmead, I got my face kicked in. And if I spoke like this at school, I was mercilessly mocked, <laughs> tied up, and all sorts of horrible things done to me. So... I started learning then about identity and about the changeability of identity and the the need to to fit in. Um, and my mother would still to this day claim that the one thing she thinks that private school taught me was the ability to mix in any company, to be comfortable with any uh, group of people. Anyone will tell you, even if I'm not trying to be funny, uh, if you put me in a room with a bunch of Irish people, then I will start mimicking their accents. Um, if you put me in a, in a, here in Cyprus, if I'm out with a, with Cypriots, then I start speaking English as though I was a Cypriot. Um, and it's not conscious. It just happens. Um, it also probably explains why I'm a decent mimic who can do accents. And that's all about identity. I think, um, it's about, um, initially I suppose self-defense, but then it becomes, something larger than that so i guess everybody goes through this at school whether you decide to be you know one of the brainy kids who sits at the front and puts their hand up and uh, wants to answer all the questions i had to go at doing that um and then found out that that was really not very cool so so i stopped doing that um i was sporty for a while so i used to play cricket which is you know it's important if you're at english private school uh, i used to play rugby um i used to play a game called fives but that's a whole different podcast um and i was pretty good at that but it wasn't too cool either. So eventually I settled on being the rebel. Uh, so I started um, getting my ears pierced, uh, wearing clothes that you're not allowed to wear at a private school, um, 
doing all sorts of things with my tie that you're not supposed to do with your tie. Um, I, I used to disappear from the school and go and buy cigarettes and go and buy, you know, all sort of, you know, base level teenage rebellion stuff. Truant. Yeah, doing all that. Um, but obviously, because you lived at school, truant used to be, you know, slightly more interesting, I guess. I used to abseil down from from these Georgian houses, <laughs> find places that would sell me alcohol and drugs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then once I'd finished doing that, um, largely because the school um, indefinitely rusticated me, which is to be rusticated is to be sent to the country. Um, uh, so they were going to expel me. Um, but then they had to change your heart, decided not to. Um, but by that stage, I'd already signed up to do my A-levels, which is what you do sort of 16 to 18 in the UK. Um, uh, sixth form, we call that. And I'd signed up at a technical college, which is back in the state system, uh, where you could wear jeans and T-shirts and smoke and do what the hell you wanted um, to do completely different sub subjects. The, the school um, had me down. They had me down as a bright boy. Uh, who should do double myth, sorry, double maths, physics and chemistry of her A-level, uh, and then uh, take a go at, uh, at getting into Cambridge. That was what they wanted me to do. I wanted to do uh, French and German, so I ended up doing English, French, German, Spanish and sociology, which, believe me, sociology at a private school, they'd never heard of it, um, let alone teach it. So I went off to um, technical college uh, where I became a rockabilly. And each of these identities, I have to say, 100% do I lean into them. So all of my clothes, my taste in music, my hair, the whole thing was uh, from sort of brainy boy to sporty boy to rebel to rockabilly, which is, I suppose, a kind of evolution. Um, and then from there, I went to work in France, um, just because I thought France would be cool, and got, got a job in a bureau de change, which sort of kicked off a career that hasn't ended yet. Um, and suddenly became a change baby. So I spent my time um, counting money. If you ever looked at my till, Justin, it was a, it was a, it was a thing of beauty. So all of my my bills would be not ironed, but they would all be straightened and they would all be in the right order. Everything would be bundled together. Everything, would be, and I would absentmindedly sit there and count thirty, forty thousand um, dollars just to sort of you know keep my hand in. And I would just play with money and touch money and move money, and that's what change babies do. Um, and it was again, another identity. That must be a hard thing to do now that you're, uh, sitting semi-retired, you know, sitting, counting 30, $40,000 at any one point, <laughs> uh, probably a skill you, uh, may have lost a little bit, I'm guessing. Yeah. I have little need for it now, but when I, when I go and do audits of clients, uh, some of them are bureau de change, um, because there are some people who work in bureau de change who are not change babies. Um, I, I generally sort of root them out and have them driven away, burnt at the stake as witches. But you, you open their till and the money is disorganized. So, you know, they have the 20s uh, in front of the 10s and the 5s and it's mixed up and the bills aren't the right way around. And I literally, literally can't look at a till like that. It, <laughs> Your it, first it, impulse is I have to straighten it. Yeah, it just, it just gets me twitchy and I'm like, close that drawer. No, 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 second. No, seriously, close that drawer or let me tidy it up. <laughs> Whichever you prefer. I cannot look at that. Um, and of course, I'm the auditor. So, <laughs> so their face goes white. Like, no, no, this isn't part of the audit. This is just, listen, if you're going to work in a bureau, this is how you do it. And they get a 15 minute lecture on how to keep a tell. Uh, poor people. Um, but after I did all that, I sort of then, um, I, you know, I got promoted, I became manager, eventually senior manager, executive, all those types of things. And again, you sort of take on the identity. And so you, for me, my habits would change. The way I would speak would change. Um, you know, that lifestyle often would change. And I think this is normal for everyone. I don't think it's unique to me. Um, but it's, for me, it was always built around uh, what I did, you know, my work, what identified me. Who was I? Was I, was I a... a a sporty guy or was I a rebel or was I a bureau de change guy or was I an executive? You know, th those things became so definitive, you know, just put a little label on me and, and I would sort of swing into living that label almost. And then I sold my business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, oh, 
oh, blimey, who am I now then? And so I had a little go at, oh, I'm going to be the writer. Um, and, you know, that, the novel's still there, still needs editing. Um, but I was much better at running my hands through my hair than I was at actually writing. Oh, stop showing off with the whole hair running through hands <laughs> thing. It was, all, it was all about identity. And, you know, then with Nero's Notes and um, TJ phoned me up and said, do you know what a podcast is? And, and suddenly I became a podcaster. All, all of those types of things. Is, is me sort of uh, flailing around trying to find what my new identity is, I think. Mm. Did you ever find you got tied into things that, perhaps in hindsight at least, were not the best choices because you were stuck into, you, you were identifying with one of those identities? No, for sure. Um, I, I often got, uh, because I was um, a change baby, I was the guy that would do the extra shifts. I was the guy, need night shifts? Okay, Stuart will do it. Um, Christmas, don't worry, Stuart will cover Christmas. Um, because I, I loved what I did. People knew I loved what I did. And I also wanted to be the most reliable guy in the company. I wanted to be the guy whose till always balanced, where could handle anything a customer could throw at me. And yeah, I made all sorts of choices where I let other people down because I wanted to to be, be that guy at work. Um, and in, you know, in many ways, companies, companies set this up. It's not by accident. There are lots of people listening to this podcast going, yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, I'm the one that gets asked to work late because I will say yes, because I want to be Mr. or Miss Reliable. Um, and it's, uh, it's really dangerous because you start trying to live an identity that's not naturally you. Because the fact of the matter is, yeah, I, I, as a kid, I was quite bright. I did quite like reading. I did find learning easy. Um, and I could play a sport. Um, I was hardly, you know, I was ever, never going to be a draft pick for the NFL, but I, I could play pretty much any sport. I had good hand-to-eye coordination. And if, you know, if my imagination was captured, I, I could apply myself to getting good at it. Um, being the rebel, hell, well, that was quite easy. <laughs> Anybody tells you to do something, do the opposite. Um, rockabilly, I, I, you know, something about that music, that look, that attitude towards life really appealed to me. So I lent into that. Um, going to front, it's it's really easy to to adopt these things, and I, I sometimes think of them as as like sweaters. I can put them on and off, mm. um, and I I think that's really dangerous because you begin to lose the authentic you. I'm not sure that during my 20s, 30s, and even 40s, I had much of an idea who I was. I think that's actually the, the point that you've just made for me right there with this conversation, Stu. Who are you? Um, you know, you probably had a little bit longer to sort of think about this, retiring to hmm. Cyprus and, and whatever. But uh, yeah, this is, this is something that I, I think post, post-COVID, post-wife um, having cancer, um, has really opened up this idea to me of, you know, what is what is the norm? What is this identity? Like you, I, I, I hate to say the word, I've always had to put them on like sweaters, but I certainly lent into them pretty hard. Um, you know, whatever I did, I, I went deep on it, mm. which, uh, if anybody's ever listened to this podcast and figures out how I spend money, you'll understand how I do this. Um, very easily. I, I spend a lot of money and then, you know, a little while later, you know, perhaps that wasn't money well spent, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we, uh, you know, particularly in our earlier ages really do adopt identities that fit in with perhaps other people's norms. Um, I don't think we, or any of us, uh, go out and pick something that is unique and not related to position, to company, to social status, whatever that is. Just do something different, completely different. Even the different has communities of like-minded people now uh, with the internet. That's uh, very easy to find whatever community you feel like you should be part of, whatever you can identify at as i'm not sure if it's healthy as like you were saying um, you know you one of the things that that i've noticed um 
there was a, a gentleman that I used to work with and he, he was a lifer at a company. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but, uh, he'd been there for 30 years. He lived and breathed everything about this company. They, they said, we want you to go here. He packed up his house and he moved. Mm -hmm. He was that kind of guy. Um, and one day a company decided just to eliminate his position, cost savings, you know, ethical shareholding and all that. Yay. Um, and he was, I think it is probably his late fifties at that point. He'd been working with the company for so long. He knew that company intimately, but outside of that, what was his skill set? Um, and I kind of looked at what that did to, to his position, uh, for, for him. I mean, I know he went to a, a rough place, a rough time came out of it very well. Um, I was really happy to hear that, but you know, been tied into an identity that does have some control outside of yours, your, your own, uh, ability to do it yourself. You know, if you're a company owner, I, I mean, I guess you still have that. If the company goes under, what are you? Mm -hmm. You're, you're probably still an entrepreneur, but you're perhaps not the success, successful entrepreneur you want to self-identify with. But you know, if you're, if you're the killer salesperson or the change baby, and all of a sudden that goes away, um, other people can really affect your identity. Um, the other thing that I find is people judge us on our identity as well. Uh, early in my career, just after I got my accounting degree, I remember going into, it was a sales negotiation to deal with contracts on a large, uh, project I was working on. And I was sitting down with a bunch of high flyers from all the other, um, companies that we we're dealing with. And somebody looked down, saw my business card, my accounting initials. Oh, you're an accountant. And that negotiation was an uphill battle because somebody had identified me as a pencil pusher. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and certainly, you know, that was kind of one of those moments that, the pros and cons, the, the negative side, particularly of having an identity, um, really was, was obvious to me. Um, to this day, I, if I have a business card, I don't put my initials on it because I just don't want to deal with that level of, you know, am I pretentious? Am I identifying? Oh, I've got an MBA or am I just trying to be who I am? And you know, it's a, it's a tough one, right? How do we do that? Um, we have, I think it's, you know, particularly in our younger years, we have a, a human need to belong and to label ourselves. Um, I see that, you know, in sort of the communities around me, um, you know, people want to be part of a community. They want to belong to something and they adopt identity and label of that. But the question is, can we live without a label? Can we throw off the labels that allow us to enter, embrace change? Stu, what, what do you identify yourself with now? Do you have a, have a label for yourself? Um, and if so, what's that journey been post-retirement that you were talking about? Um, well, I think it's, um, I mean, you made a really good point earlier that, uh, the pandemic and our response to it has had I think, a huge impact on this. People have, have reconsidered to a great extent how important work is or isn't. Uh, and I think that's a really good debate that should, should be continued. Um, I mean, for me, when I sold the business, there was a sort of, uh, I suppose, honeymoon period where it's like, okay, um, hey, look at me. I'm successful. I've sold my business. Um, I've got uh, lots of money in the bank. Isn't that great? Fantastic. And I'm just going to, you know, take some time and, uh, you know, just fire a few platitudes around. That's essentially what I was doing. Um, and then the period after that is when I, I started, uh, I didn't start, but I, I bought Nero's notes or pocket notebooks as it was then, um, and got that going as a little side, side hustle, you know, don't want to do too much. And uh, I started working with a couple of, um, of old clients of mine from sort of, you know, years gone by who needed a bit of help here and a bit of help there in, in management consultancy, which sort of then drifted more towards the compliance thing because I developed that expertise and I started drifting back into to identities. 
um, to the extent that I found it really then complicated to balance that. So um, e even now, I, I know you do the same, but I have different email sort of uh, clients. And in, in one of my email clients, I've got a bright, colorful signature that goes, yay, Nero's notes, buy notebooks, isn't it great? Hey, hey, remember, there's a pocket notebook. For All sort of um, salesy and lighthearted. And it, you know, it's, it's a hobby thing. And then I have another more corporate side, which is a different email signature. It's all about compliance. It's It's got the disclaimer that you have to have in the UK with your company number and all of that stuff. It's, huh. Um, and I find it quite difficult at times to, you know, who am I now? Am I, am I that guy or am I that guy? Um, the reality of course, is that in both cases, I'm both guys. Uh, and I'm more comfortable with that now. And yeah, sometimes I think perhaps I'm more comfortable than the world is. Um, uh, I stood up the other day and did a sort of seminar, um, around the latest sort of AML legislation. Uh, and I was wearing... Um, what was I? Wearing? I was wearing jeans and a polo shirt, uh, sort of I suppose business casual. You might call it business casual, Justin. Um, oh, that's dressy for me. I'm in uh, sweatpants and a t-shirt, <laughs> but not not when you're delivering a seminar, maybe. But um, uh, it was it was the first time I'd done short sleeves with tattooed arms, um, and it, this was a very sort of corporate environment. This was the the compliancey side. Um, and I'm sure people did notice, but nobody batted an eyelid that I could see. Nobody said anything. Um, so that was, for me, that was a kind of blending of the identities. I did, I did have a, a long sleeve shirt in the bag specifically, uh, in case I wanted to, to cover up as it were. Uh, and then I thought, well, no, I mean, <laughs> this is who I am. And, um, yeah, I am very good at this stuff. I do know my, my material. And yes, I've also got tattoos and that, you know, that shouldn't really be a problem. And I think increasingly it isn't, uh, probably the, the person most worried about in the room was me rather than anyone else. But for me, I think it's learning that all of these things are part of my identity. Yes, I can, uh, turn detailed compliance legislation into sort of simple instructions and help people understand things. Um, yes, I, um, have a passion for stationary and I can communicate that um, and I can, you know, uh, manage the logistics to get, you know, people in the UK, their field notes, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, I like to, to kick back and read and not think about work at all, or I like to get on a podcast and talk nonsense. Um, you know, all of these things are part of my identity and I, I'm much more militant now about it being, you know, okay, I'm Stuart and these are things that I do. Mm. Uh, but people find that challenging still because people like to label others. Hmm. I, th I think you kind of hit right there on where I am at the moment. Uh, my name is Justin and this is what I do rather than my name is Justin. I am blank. Yep. You, you know, when you introduce yourself, you, I guess, go through, this is what I do rather than I may a retiree i'm an expat i'm a, a business owner i'm a consultant uh do you have a particular uh way that you introduce yourself let's say in a social setting because obviously context related if you're if you're doing something with the business you put on well i would say your sweater but because of where you live you're probably your t-shirt or something like that but you know um in in just a social situation mm -hmm. where you are somewhat obligated to uh give some context to who you are um what do you do do you do you have a, a, a standard way of doing that i i generally uh lie quite a lot um tell jokes um because i yeah i find it quite objectionable now so um people, uh, people ask me uh, like we're, we're talking at one of those sort of interminable parties and it's like you know oh hi who are you i'm stuart who are you um, and then people think, oh, um, and, and two, well, what brings you to Cyprus? Um, I'll say things like oh, international espionage, assassination, contract work. Um, generally, I'll steer it away. Um, I, I will, will sort of disseminate and I'll say things like, oh, I, I come for the sun. You know, I'm here for the weather. Um, what about you? And generally speaking, people are, particularly if they're still um, tied into that whole label thing, they'll, they'll tell you all about their label. 
um, and what business they used to have. Mm. I'm I'm sort of inspired in a negative way, perhaps, by some people that I've met who will talk to you for 40 minutes about what they used to do. You've met my neighbours, have you? <laughs> well, you know, there's there's one or two I'm thinking of, and I just think, yeah, okay, that's not really what I meant, you know. Um, I'm, you know, who are you? What, what's interesting about you? The fact that you were, you know, very competent and clever in, the, in business A, B, or C is great, but I'm not particularly interested. So, you know, I'm not buying a service or anything. I just, you know, maybe we can have a beer, perhaps. Um, I, you know, I don't judge people. I'm, I'm not that nasty, but I try and avoid getting into those conversations. And if people say, "Oh, are you still working?" I say, "Yeah, I do bits and pieces. You know, I've got some things going on, but I, I don't really share." And generally speaking, I find. That certainly men at least they're more than happy to just uh, talk about themselves <laughs> you can you can quite quite easily bat it back to them women tend to be more um i think women are generally nicer creatures and and more likely to ask questions rather than just tell you how wonderful they are whereas men will just go on for hours hey look at us let's start a podcast we go on for hours exactly we do, we do it on a podcast people only download it voluntarily no, nobody nobody's here by accident justin Let's hope so. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's funny because I I notice exactly the same thing, and I think that's where my biggest challenge comes in. Is, um, I I live in a neighborhood where about half the people are retired, and every one of them that's retired, as Stu just talked about, um, I know exactly what they did as a career. Um, yes, it's it's a thing that people do. They still identify themselves as a retiree of what they did that was still their thing so it's kind of interesting weirdly the people that work um at least around here tend to be well, a little more blue collar and a lot less talking about their work which is mm. odd and i don't know if that's something to do with success or the perceived notion of success we want to show that off to people humble bragging all that stuff mm. it's it's an interesting thought um so it's 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 i i used to be important syndrome isn't it I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And and I and I still am. Honestly, I still am. I'm, I am. And then I say I used to do this and I used to do that. Um it's yeah. I think the older you get, the easier this gets. I think you do grow into it and become more comfortable. So I, you know, I don't mind now saying to people that, you know, I'm a TikTok influencer. Um, particularly if it's people who A don't know what an influencer is and B have only a vague understanding of what TikTok is. Um, just because I, I, I use it as a kind of icebreaker and, and then I will say something. No, no, I'm kidding. I mean, for me, because I wear very loud golf clothes, so um, I can turn around and say I'm a, I'm a fashion influencer. Um, I usually get to laugh, particularly from the women. Uh, just clearly, I'm, I'm not the classical shape of a model, as you may have gathered. Um, but yeah, I, I work very hard now at not being that guy, apart from having been that guy today. Um, when I meet people, I try not to talk about what I do too much unless it's, you know, particularly and specifically relevant. Mm. And it's about getting comfortable in your, in your own skin. Mm -hmm. Do you ever throw away any of those sweaters or in your case, t-shirts of identities that you've had? Um, just before we came to Cyprus, uh, an old friend of mine sent me back my perfecto um my my rockabilly jacket um you, you used to call them a biker jacket i'm sure you know the ones i mean they're quite short um and lots of zips and stuff on them um and i used to wear that that was my 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 sweater if you like and then um i got too big for it and i gave it to a guy at university who several years decades later sent it back to me you must have found me on the internet somewhere but the return address was obscured on the label so we, i could never uh, I could never thank him. Uh, so that sort of sweater actually hangs <laughs> just just next to me here. Um, I could probably get one arm in it now if I'm really lucky. I think the sweaters are always there. You can always drop back into that mode of being, um, you know, if if I get meet other people from foreign exchange or talk about how foreign exchange works. I'm very quickly back in that mindset, that thought process, because it was a you know it was a huge part of my life. Um, you know, some some of the childish ones, I guess not. But um, as we may discover next week, 
um, you know, can quite quickly drop back in. You can music can sort of reignite that that element of your personality that was so important at that time. But that will make more sense uh, to people next week, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think they're always there, um, but you just reach for them less and less. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, what who am I now? Well, I'm the sort of slightly. I'm the overweight guy that's always always ready to have a beer and a laugh, plays a lot of golf. Um, I like to think that people feel that they can can ask me to help them, you know, can ask me for favors and things like that, um, because I try and make myself available to people like that. Um, and yeah, to a certain extent, I think when when we when I sold the business, or not actually before I sold the business, we'd moved to a small village in England. Um, and we had, um, I had several satellite dishes put on to the, to the house um, because I'm an international espionage. No, because um, Margaret likes to watch Italian TV. Um, but everybody around me assumed it was because I was a spy. <laughs> and um, coupled with the fact there was a lot of travel in the business. And uh, so, so where's he gone? Prague. Oh, I see. Right. Uh huh. And this week, uh, Budapest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see. Mm-hmm. Um, people just sort of made their own assumptions, and it, it was just more fun to let them live with those than than try and dispel them. So I don't know whether people think that anymore. Um, obviously, if I say what I do, uh, sort of jobby job in this part of the world, um, with expat retirees or semi-retirees. Um, believe me, there is no way to hush conversation on a golf course quicker. If you're playing golf with two Russians and a, a British expat, and they go, so what do you know? I'm an anti-money laundering specialist. Oof, silence. Yes, it's a bit like uh, being an accountant. Uh, you start getting those questions. I have this tax problem. Can you help me? <laughs> no, I mean, quite a lot of guys that I say to look nervous. <laughs> mm. Oh, oh, is that is that sort of tax investigation? No, 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 none of that. You're hanging out with the great crowds. <laughs> now, coming back to the question of throwing away sweaters. Um, this last few weeks has been very interesting for me. Disaster planning. My disaster planning mm. is putting everything in, well, what could be considered a very, very small apartment. Um, and leaving everything else behind. And looking at my things and the sweaters, the identities that I had for those, or you know, perhaps still do. I'm very humbled to realize that I don't need any of those things. What I'm taking are really the essentials. You know, there's, there's no hobbies. Yes. Will I miss this? Will I miss that? Will I, you know, there's no way I could fit my wine collection into the back of my truck. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's, that's a sweater that I don't know that I need to wear anymore, that I don't need to have that label. You know, um, I'm, I'm really surprised at how much the last few years has changed my outlook on things. You know, they are just mm. things and that my identity, which, you know, I want to be honest, used to be, I used to do this. I used to be the competitive model car builder where I've got boxes of trophies to show for it. I used to be the musician. I, you know, yes, I still do those things, mm-hmm. but they're not identities anymore. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. No, it does. I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I, I was passionate about wine um, and used to buy uh, very, very good stuff and, you know, pride myself on understanding wine and how it works and how taste works. Um, and I've got to the point now where I've realized that um, a, a, a bottle of fine wine looked after properly, served properly, um, is no better than uh, a bottle of cheap wine drunk with friends. It's, it's, the, it's that time that is so cherishable, particularly with, you know, uh, you know uh, my wife and I can sit and drink uh, a bottle of wine and she's got a much better palate than I have. She doesn't realize this, but she has. Um, and she's 
instinctive sort of taste is she's a super taster almost. Um, but when it comes to wine, she has no interest. <laughs> so, so I can serve her, you know, uh, a five hundred dollar bottle of wine or uh, an eight dollar bottle of wine, and she'll go, well, "That one's a bit nicer than that one." Um, and sometimes it'll be that the five hundred dollar, and sometimes it'll be the eight dollar. It's it's not something that I pride myself on anymore. I don't seek out uh, really good wines. I have a really nice winery up the road. I go up there. Um, I do a little bit of a tasting. I take a, a case of this and a case of that. Um, and I, I always have wine available in my house, and that's perfect. And as you say, you know, if, if you know, I had to walk away from it, I'll, I'd walk away from it. That would be the end of it. It, it. I think it takes a certain point in your life to be able to do that, you know, maybe as we're similar age and... Uh, you know, have been through certain things over the last few years, you know, health related sure. that certainly give us that perspective. I'm curious to hear from our listeners. Um, how do they feel about identity? Is it still something that we're just old and don't think about anymore? Or is there, is there more to this that we're missing? Indeed. I, I, this is a fascinating subject. We could go, oh, I mean, I could go on for hours more about this because you start thinking about, um, you know, identity as as a as a husband or as a father, uh, identity politically. You know, you see people buying baseball caps and stuff. You think, what's that all about? <laughs> oh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> Come on, you don't have one of those little red ones that was uh, all the rage uh, eight years ago? Uh, no, I do not. And I look at people wearing them. I think, why on earth are you wearing that? What a ridiculous thing to do. But, um, you know, that would be equally true if it were a blue hat. You know, I'm just like, I don't understand this. We we have a thing in Canada where uh, people uh, opposed to the COVID restrictions started driving around with big Canadian flags uh, strapped to the back of their pickup trucks. Yes, I live in the neighborhood where everybody has a pickup truck, including me. Mm -hmm. And now even the Canadian flag has become politicized, yeah. which is, it just blows my mind that how can... How can people identify with things so much? Yeah. Um, my neighbor down the road on the side of his garage has probably a five foot wide sign um, saying F the current prime minister. Uh, I guess he's not a fan. Um, not one of the ones that we talk to a whole lot, but uh, yeah, political, very, it's identity. It's a weird thing. Yeah. All right, Stu. Tribes. We could talk forever, but what do you have for us to take away for this? Um, but I, th I think I've arrived at a point where a complete identity includes contradictions and that uh, they're to be embraced. You know, we, we are complex, unique beings, and that's a good thing. Right, you, what's your takeaway? I didn't actually have one because I wanted to talk about this with you and kind of understand where you came from. I, I think my takeaway is it's okay to be someone that does things rather than someone that is things. Um, and I don't think that just doing something needs to be an identity or a sweater. Just do what you enjoy and run with it. There we go. Cool. So that means I'm quite comfortable not having a particularly tough identity at the moment. So I'll just sit here and be me who does things. Still. Where can people find you on the internet? Have you been doing much on the internet while you were gone? Um, on, on a sort of personal level, no. I'm, I'm pretty quiet on the internet. You can find my writing at stuartlennon.com. Uh, the Jobby Job Serious stuff is uh, limeconsulting.com, and that's on all the socials as well. And uh, the stationery business is Nero's Notes. That's at nerosnotes.co.uk. Uh, on all the socials as Nero's Notes or something similar. Hey, a uh, question about Nero's Notes. Do you have those fancy new uh, Field Notes books that just came out? Oh, foiled again. Yeah, we do. And Oh, my gosh, are those lovely. They're so pretty. Um, they have flown off the shelves to the extent um, it was like Field, Not Field Notes of old, where um, I sort of, we got the order in, I think arrived on a Wednesday, and by Thursday night, I was putting another order across the States because I knew um, that I'd, you know, grossly underestimated how many we needed. Um, they have been flying. They're beautiful. And I think if you're a subscriber, and you can still become a subscriber if you want, 
um, at fieldnotes.com or is it field, yeah, fieldnotesbrand.com? I can't remember. They have a, um, a sort of dual color set. So the ones that you can buy at Nero's Notes are blue. But if you're a subscriber, you get a blue set and a sort of goldy, reddy, orangey set as well, which look amazing. Mm. Yeah, they do look nice. I haven't bought Field Notes in a while because A, I have a ton of them already. And B, sure. I don't go anywhere where I'm sitting writing notes anymore. Um, so, yes. Uh, but I am tempted by those two. I am very tempted. Cool. Did you bring some home with you? Or uh... No, no, they, they arrived after I left the UK. So um, I, for me to have to get them, I would have to, um, you know, buy them, pay customs on import and all that sort of jazz. Uh, put one in the box for the next time Stu's in town. <laughs> yeah, I, that's how I, may, I may find a way of sneaking some across somehow. <laughs> Crazy. All right, you can find uh, well, a little bit about me, justintwyford.com. Uh, occasionally I'm putting up YouTube videos at Beyond Your Front Door when I can get outside. Mm. Uh, we actually uh, didn't mention it earlier. We had a travel ban, so we weren't allowed to leave home. Always fun. That was what they did to fight the fires. Yikes. It was it was like the lockdowns all over again. Please feel free to email us, stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. And if you could take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catcher choice, and we really would appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues, especially somebody that might be struggling with identity. Our next topic, the one that Stu talked about already, was kind of a game that I saw going around on X Twitter, uh, because I just can't call it X. That's so stupid. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, 10 bands to get to know you by. So Stu and I are going to come up with 10 bands each that will help you get to know us. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>